Let's talk about sex, baby. You remember that song from Salt and Peppa? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and all the bad things that may be. Well, truth is, Salt and Peppa pretty much only talked about the good things when it comes to sex. Now, if they needed help talking about the bad of sex, they could have just asked the church because at church, sex has often been just just bad. I remember the last night of church camp when I was in high school. Someone had the great idea to take a bunch of teenagers out beneath the cross and staple to that cross images representing our sin that we would then go and tear down from the cross on that dramatic last night of camp. Well, the only images they could come up with were, were sexy pictures from Cosmo magazine of girls and then empty cardboard beer boxes. That's all that was on the cross. And the message was pretty clear. Christianity is about not having sex and not drinking, and definitely don't do both at the same time. Well, you can see we've got a messaging problem. For culture, sex is all good. And for the church, sex has often been all bad. Run away, run far away, and don't drink. But there's a lot more to it than that. And there's a lot more to sex than that. Sex is something that we, as the church, should talk about. There's a whole book in the Bible about sex, Song of Songs, a book looking forward to sex, a book getting really excited about sex, and not a book that you should read with your mom around. Even Paul, who was single and celibate, meaning he didn't have sex, said that married couples should in 1 Corinthians 7. What Paul understood is that when married couples get together and have sex, that their souls are bound together, not just their bodies. And that when their souls are bound together, those souls are stronger, and they're able to withstand temptation in ways they're not when they're separate. I notice all the husbands are taking notes now. Eric said we should have sex. It will help my spiritual life. Paul says there may be a time when married couples should abstain from sex to pray, but after you pray, he says, keep having sex. Now lean in here. The reason that the Bible warns us about how dangerous sex is, is not because it's bad, but because sex is holy. That's the reason in that book all about sex, Song of Songs, that the author says, don't awaken love until it is ready. The idea here is simple. When it comes to sex, be careful. Because like Bill Perkins said, if you think you can't fall into sexual sin, then you are godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. We are finishing up this series today, the Seven Deadly Sins series, where we're talking about lust. <clears throat> So you probably remember in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Strong warning. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it would seem like that strong warning has not made a big impact on many Christians. Look at these figures, for example. Barner Group, and it's hard to get exact figures on this, but Barner Group's a really good organization. <clears throat> they report that 79% of men between 18 to 30 years old look at pornography at least once a month. 79%. Of 31 to 49-year-olds, 67% look at pornography once a month. And up to 68, 49% of those up to 68. And it's not only men, women, 30% of women report looking at pornography at least once a month. Now, if you're talking about Christians, the numbers get a little bit better. Only 64% of Christian men look at pornography once a month. 64%? And what is it, 41% of Christian boys, 13 to 25, is how they categorize boys, which is another thing. But 41% looking at pornography at least once a month. Let me just stop right there 
and say the point of this sermon and really the point of this whole sermon series is not to produce shame in your heart. That's not what we're after. But I do think that one of the first things that believers need to do once they decide they want to be obedient and follow Jesus is to assess what are the barriers to my obedience to Jesus in my life? <clears throat> what things are keeping me from following Jesus like Jesus deserves? And the truth is, if we knew that 64% of our men and boys were addicted to drugs, we would talk about that, right? But it is hard to talk about sex. It makes us uncomfortable. So listen closely, if, if, we are, if we're gonna be obedient to Christ, the first thing that we've gotta do is to admit, what problems do I have that are keeping me from obedience? <clears throat> I sat with this man from Highland not long ago and he, he started the conversation like this. He said, Eric, I'm a sex addict, which is a difficult way to start a conversation. <clears throat> and immediately what comes to mind for you, like it does for me, are some, some pretty dark things. You know, I start thinking about prostitution, strip clubs, the dark web, maybe even sexual violence and crime. He says, it's nothing like that. He said, what my sexual addiction looks like is that I binge on pornography for a few days. And then I'm so overcome by guilt and shame that I stop it. I say, I'm never gonna do that again. Never ever gonna do that again. And I'll, I'll go for days or weeks or even months and I won't touch it. I won't think about it. I won't look at it, but something will happen and I'll binge again, a few days, and then I'll, I won't touch it. I'll promise I'm never gonna do it again. And I'll have a long period of sobriety. And he says, my wife will ask me how I'm doing. And she'll ask me how I'm doing in those periods of sobriety. And I say, honey, I am doing great. I'm doing like I've never done before. I'm doing wonderful. And he said, I did not think I was an addict. And this is why, because I didn't think I had a problem because most of the time, if you just looked at the calendar of my year, most days were clean. I was pure the majority of my days. <clears throat> but he said, then he had this thought, that pattern of sobriety, binge, sobriety, binge is the pattern of addiction. It doesn't matter how long those gaps are. That's why if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, somebody who's been sober for 10 years will say, I'm Eric and I'm an alcoholic because they're just in a period of sobriety. And what addiction is, is just a fancy word for a cycle of sin a cycle that you can't seem to break out of. And so the first thing that we've got to do <clears throat> as a church, the first thing that you've got to do as an individual is to assess what are the barriers to my faithfulness to Jesus Christ? What are my, my problems? And this guy who's able to say confidently, I'm a sex addict, is well ahead of many of us who are much like him, but have not yet acknowledged we've got a problem. That's the first step. <clears throat> now, if you're not sure that your sexual temptations, your sexual desires, your sexual tendencies are problematic, you'd be much like Paul's church in Corinth. This is what they say. He's quoting them. He says, you say, I have the right to do anything, you say, <clears throat> but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he's quoting an ancient saying. It's at least 2,000 years old because he's quoting it and he writes a lot of the New Testament, so it's before Paul. And uh, 
it's so it's really old, but doesn't it sound like, I mean, as you're looking at that, doesn't it sound like it could have been said yesterday? And this is how it goes today. I can do whatever I want as long as no one gets hurt. I can do whatever I want as long as no one gets hurt. Well, let me just say, that's not true for followers of Jesus Christ. But let's assume it is. Let's just play that game. Does anybody get hurt when I lust? Does anybody get hurt when I look at pornography? Well, doing research for this sermon was super discouraging. One of the things I found is that women who work in the sex industry, 90% of them were abused as children, 90%. The majority still experience abuse and violence in the industry. Many report the need to be addicted to perform, okay? Need to be under the influence to perform. Uh, most of them cannot hold down a marriage for longer than three years. Okay, so that population's being hurt when we consume their product. If I wasn't breaking confidence, I could share with you right now about 10 to 15 men at Highland who just in the last year have confessed to me the way that they're looking at pornography has destroyed their families. How it's hurt their wives who already struggle to compare themselves to other women and now are ashamed of their own bodies. Okay, but let's assume hurting them didn't matter. And it does. Let's assume hurting them didn't matter. Do you get hurt when you look at porn? What if you're not married? Do you get hurt? when you look at porn. Evidence shows that the more you look at pornography, the less satisfied you are by normal sex. Now, this is why many of our young men are getting married thinking they're gonna have sex in the morning, at night, and maybe on lunch break. And it's gonna be sex just like they've always imagined it's gonna be. That's what they imagine. Not only that, but other evidence indicates that the more you look at pornography, the more you prefer violent scenes and younger actors. Yeah, it's undeniable that you get hurt too, right? Your pleasure expectations become unrealistic. And what happens with sex, as it happens with all these other sins, with greed, for example, like with greed, you want something so bad, you get it, and suddenly you're not satisfied by it. It's the same with sex, that our sin, as it relates to sex, our lust distorts what the good God designed to be pleasurable and joyous. Our sin makes it disappointing. <clears throat> if you think you're not getting hurt by looking at porn, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. What Paul's saying here is ironic. We claim that we can do anything and it won't master us. And in the moment we claim that, we are being mastered by our sexual sin. And what mastery looks like when it comes to sexual sin is that your sin of sex convinces you Right? Your sexual sin convinces you that what you're doing does not hurt your soul. It might affect your body, but it doesn't affect your soul. Well, let's look at that. Paul goes on here in 1 Corinthians 6. You say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord, Christ Jesus, from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. And in those days, prostitution was much more common. It, it would be on par with pornography use today. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him 
and spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Notice he's drawing a distinction between sexual sin and other sins. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you've received from God? So he's talking about sex here. And to get there, he starts talking about food first. And um, a joke just came to mind that I'm not going to use. Okay. He starts talking about food first. And Chris talked about this passage a few weeks ago. And the point he was making is that there's a connection between our food, what we eat, our bodies, what that food does to us, and our souls. And that's really the point Paul's making is that there is a connection between our bodies and souls, especially as it relates to sex. And the saying that he quotes probably went like this, food's for the stomach, the stomach is for food, just like sex is for the body and the body's for sex. In other words, get sex while you can because your body was made for it, honey. Eventually sex is going to pass away. You won't be able to have sex anymore. Just like your food's going to disappear, right? Eventually all those things are destroyed. God's going to destroy sex just like he's going to destroy your body. So while you've got your body, while you can have sex, go have fun. That's what he's trying to say. Now you can sense as I say that, that it's not right. Maybe it's because of the ironic tone I'm using. But you can sense something about that doesn't sound right. You remember that song by John Mayer, Your Body's a Wonderland? Your Body's a Wonderland. It's a really catchy song. It'll probably be in your head the rest of the day. He's singing about this this woman's body that he's describing as his personal theme park. It's his place to go and have fun. To have all of his fantasies fulfilled. Her body, that's what it's for. Well, that's a really different view of the body than Paul has. Paul says, your body isn't primarily made for sex. Sure, we're told to be fruitful and multiply, okay? Your body functions to have sex. It works that way. But the purpose of your body is to house God on earth. Your body is a a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the launching pad for the kingdom of God on earth. He is going to launch his kingdom through our body. So he's not going to destroy our bodies. He's going to raise our bodies. Our bodies are going to be eternal. And if you doubt that, he points to Jesus Christ who was raised in body. You remember the tomb was empty. There wasn't a body there, right? He's not going to give up on our bodies. Our bodies are eternal, There's no doubt about it. One of the first heresies, which is a bad theology, bad Christianity. One of the first heresies in the early church was called Gnosticism. You've heard that before. There's a lot of variations of what Gnosticism is and was. But in short, it's it's a really simple idea. There's two worlds. There's the physical and there's the spiritual world. What happens in the physical world doesn't touch the spiritual. What happens in the spiritual doesn't affect the physical. Those two are separate and apart, right? A lot of people today are modern day Gnostics who will go home this afternoon, will look at pornography and will tell themselves, this doesn't hurt my soul. This doesn't hurt my soul. This doesn't hurt my soul. It's just my body. If that's you, let me say you're not alone in thinking that, but you're wrong. Because I could point you to a number in here, probably the majority, who don't believe that. 
What they believe is that their soul is so damaged by their sexual conduct that it can't be redeemed, you know, that it can't be restored, that they're too far gone. They have seen the way their sexual habits have hurt their soul. And they think it's too far gone. Let me come back to that, but let me make one more point about this passage. Look at verse 19 again. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Right, this is the best part of the whole passage. I want you to lean in. Okay. Some of us think like the Corinthians did that we have the right to do anything as long as no one gets hurt. I think part of that's living in this great nation where we're blessed with these inalienable rights, but that bleeds over into our spiritual life. And we begin to think that as a Christian, I retain certain rights. One of the guys I met with recently said it looks like this in his life. He has these long stretches of doing good, of being pure, being obedient to Jesus. And then late one night after a hard day and a long stretch of being good, he'll think, I've got the right to do a little bad. You know, I've earned this. I've been good for so long. I've earned this. His exact quote was, I deserve a little PTO from what God expects of me. A little paid time off. But Paul's saying, no, because you don't have rights. I don't have any rights. I'm not my boss. I belong to God the Father who purchased me by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am a slave. He calls the shots. He didn't just purchase my soul. He purchased my body. I don't have rights. I have responsibilities. And my responsibility as a child of God is to honor God with everything I do, including with the body that he owns. You know, frankly, God does not care about my right to vote my right to freedom of speech, my right to bear arms, my right to sexual expression, my right to sexual relief. Frankly, God doesn't care about any of those things because in God's eyes, I don't have rights, right? I am his, I belong to him. And so when I use my body to do what God does not want me to do with my body, I am in rebellion against the holy, infinite and all powerful God. And so next time, you want to look at pornography. Next time you want to mess around with somebody. Next time you want to ask how far is too far. Remember, you don't have the right. That body is not yours. It is God's, right? It is God's. Okay. Let me come down from my high horse. It's one thing to know that, which you all know. I just want to remind you. It's another thing to be transformed by it. It's another thing to be transformed by it. And like I said, the point of this sermon is not to make you feel shame. The way that I think shame functions in the life of a Christian <clears throat> when you feel self-hatred, self-loathing, is that God does not operate through shame. That is not God's vehicle. God's vehicle is grace and mercy. But beneath our shame, buried beneath those, beneath those layers of guilt and sorrow is often this place of desire where we desire to be someone who does not feel this way. And I think desire is something God can work with. And so what I'm hoping is that you're finding in your heart that place of desire to be someone who doesn't feel this way, who doesn't do these things. Don McLaughlin was here. He's a 
Church of Christ preacher from Atlanta, a wonderful preacher, came here a few years ago for a conference. And he said something that was so true about this, that if you've got that place of desire stirring in you, if you want to be transformed from this sin, that what you have to do to give God the space to work that transformation in your heart, what you have to do is take a dramatic step that you can't reverse or shade or hide. In other words, you gotta go public. You gotta go public. I'm putting a bunch of resources in the back of the link. So if you've got a link and you wanna hold it up, you can look there at the back. These are a bunch of resources that I've been helpful to, to folks that I've worked with that have come recommended to me by others who work with those who are struggling with this. They're all really great. I encourage you to check them out, especially for parents. As you wanna think about monitoring your children's activity and how to encourage them towards lives of purity and obedience, I encourage you to check those out. Let me also say, as you're looking over that list, if you think you are going to read yourself into a new life, you're kidding. You know, if you think you're gonna be transformed by an inspirational video or by this amazing sermon, you're kidding yourself. That's not how it works. You know, God transforms our hearts. And the only way that I've seen God transform the hearts of men primarily who are dealing with sexual sin is when they get accountable to others. That's the only way I've seen it happen. It's just not something you do by yourself. So let me also encourage you on the back of the link there, there is a, a sign up for men's small groups, which we have a number of. And if you wanna be a part of a group like that where you can be vulnerable and accountable, I'd encourage you to check it out. So I'm, I'm the accountability partner for a friend and he uses a software that's on the back of the link. It's called Covenant Eyes. It's a, it's a internet browser that monitors your content. And so when he tries to access content on his phone that he shouldn't look at, I get a report, I get an email. And it says, you need to check on your friend. And then underneath that, it says, this can be awkward. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is awkward. Uh, so underneath that, it has a little inspirational speech for me. And it says, it's so important that your friend hears from you. Here's some possible conversation starters. And it lists those out. So I pick one of those and I just go with it. And I say, hey man, I got a report from Covenant Eyes. What's up? <clears throat> and immediately he just gushes. So I was doing great for so long. Something happened at work, put me in a bad place. And I just got home and I went off the deep end and I am so ashamed, I'm so ashamed. So we have this conversation about it. I encourage him and challenge him. He's doing much better. But after I encourage him, there's these little, you know when you get the little dot, dot, dot that shows somebody's texting you back? You know, the little dot, dot, dot shows up and goes away. It shows up again, goes away. And then finally he just says this, thank you, thank you. Which is not the, response you expect when you call somebody out about looking at porn at home in their bathroom, right? It's something they're doing in their privacy of their home. And he says, thank you to me. And I think the reason he says thank you to me is that what we all most desire, even in having sex, is to be fully known by somebody, to be intimate, to be vulnerable with somebody else. Like that's what we all truly want. That's why we're part of the, the body of Christ so that we don't have to be anonymous with our sins so that we can be known and still loved. That's what we want. Even if it's awkward, 
That's the way that God transforms our hearts, through that kind of vulnerability. You can be changed. I think a lot of men in here who struggled with this their whole life would say, I don't think so. I'm just a man, it's just the way I'm wired, I'm just gonna be this way my whole life. I have a good friend, uh, he's about 60 years old. And he described as a young man dealing with this just constantly, lust, being overwhelmed by it. And he described this just long journey of prayerfulness about it, of accountability. And what he described was that there came a point when God just turned the dial of his sexual addiction down. It wasn't like he didn't notice a beautiful woman anymore. He didn't appreciate God's design. It was just that constant noise blaring in his ears of sexual temptation. It just got turned down. The volume just got turned down. And I'm convinced that can happen. There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament. I'll end with this. It's of a couple, Hosea and Gomer. Gomer, the woman, is, is sexually addicted, and we don't know her story, what kind of abuse or sorrows she endured that led her to that place of sexual addiction. But she continues to cheat on Hosea. Her sexual addiction caused her to make these terrible decisions until ultimately she's actually enslaved in a, in a sexual slavery. And there's this really moving scene when Hosea, her husband, he goes to her and he buys her back out of slavery. I think there's a message there to couples about faithfulness and covenant and forgiveness. Forgiveness is difficult to come by, right? And I'm not gonna pretend it's easy, but maybe there's a message there for couples who are dealing with the sorrow of sexual sin in their marriage. But Hosea and Gomer is not really about marriages. It's about God and his people. And the message is this, even if you are in the midst of sexual sin, you are not too far gone. You know, there is no sin that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover. Right? And, and if you think your sin is too great for Jesus to cover, that's pride, get over yourself. <laughs> You know, the, the work of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for you. And if you are in sexual sin, he can buy you back. Amen. And if that's what's going on in your heart, right? Take it to Jesus Christ and let him purchase you back because he will, Amen. he will. If you've got something on your heart this morning that you'd like prayer for, I'll be down front. If you'd like to be baptized in the waters of forgiveness behind me, I'd love to do that today. We also have elders, shepherds in the back who'd love to pray over you. Will you stand as we finish in song? You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me and you.